This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. All right, so yesterday, Olivia Chow stood up and said, here's where we can handle, um, here's what we can handle and here's what we can't with Toronto's financial report. It's not a budget, but it's more a forecast of a budget. Like eventually the budget is, do you do it or do you not? Do you spend? Do you cut? All of that. And here's here's the problem. Here's the problem. And I'm I don't this is not an I told you so moment for me. It's not that I hate being I told you so guy unless it's absolutely essential. And I don't think I'm going to sound like I told you so guy. And I don't think it's essential yet because I still I think there's time to be, um, you know, objectively critical about what you heard yesterday and still hope that there ends up being an element of change. But but what I heard is is we can't find any inefficiencies. We can't find anywhere we're spending money that we shouldn't be. So we need more from the province, the federal government, and you. That's what I heard. You you can tell me if I misheard. You can tell me if I misunderstood. But they want more money. They want more power to tax. And I'll get to this uh, sales tax as well. That's got honestly... Honestly, a lot of union folks very, very upset. People supported Olivia Chow. People endorsed Olivia Chow. And they say, you're taxing my 1%, making 40 grand, 50 grand, 60 grand, right? The QP folks that went out on strike last year that we all said, yeah, yeah, they're not getting enough. They have to pay the 1%, and that's going to ding them a little bit more than it is in the pocketbook for the normal stuff than it is somebody making 200 grand, 300 grand, 400 grand. You know that, and I know that. It's simple math. But I just didn't hear, you, you, have you looked inside your, your own couch cushions? Have you looked inside your own spending? I, I, I don't get it. I, I have no idea where that was yesterday. Was there a second part to the announcement? I didn't spot it. And some of what she says is valid. Some of what she says in terms of understanding where it's got to go is significant let's do the um, the money one cut because i want to play you something that she said on her show back in april it's about a minute 49 now i'm going to get to it this is me asking her about what she could cut and it was april so i don't know that i gave her a pass but i'm like oh they'll oh they'll figure it out but that's four months ago when she announced she was running for mayor here's what she said yesterday about the city's budget issues we in toronto deserve and all the residents deserve a city where you can rely on the ttc fast, reliable, and affordable, where you can find housing that is, again, affordable, where you can have public services that you can rely on, trees, parks, good school, libraries, community centers. Okay, all that's true. I'd love some of those things. That's fantastic. I Should I make a big deal because we don't, how would I put it? We don't deserve anything in life. You cannot, and again, you cannot create, you can create equal opportunity. It's very hard to create equality. Not everybody can be on top. Not everybody can win the game. Not everybody can be valedictorian or prom queen. Not everybody can. I can't do your job. You can't do mine. Maybe there's a little bit of that. But I, I like, I don't, I just keep hearing that you deserve things by default. But the city isn't about to, to give this to you. I wish pe- I could say people deserve to be happy. You don't need to feel guilty. Something in your life that made you feel terrible. You should deserve to get over it by now. But I don't think politicians should use the word deserve because this is about dollars and cents, X's and O's, and practicality right now. Here's more from Olivia Chow from yesterday. 
Imagine a city like your own home. All of a sudden, you've been asked, your next-door neighbor homes, if their roof leaks, you have to pay for it. Their electricity, you pay for it. Everything, you pay for it. You don't get any of, of the rent. And then all of a sudden, you're asked to take care of the homes across the street. Without the funding, without the rent, if they need an addition, you pay for it. If they need to fix anything, you pay for it. That's just not fair. Got it. I agree with her. I, she's absolutely right about that. But what else do you do in your household budget? You say, we're spending here, so we can't spend there. We went out for dinner last night. We're not going to do it again for a week. Went to a movie last night. I can't go to, I can't buy concert tickets for Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If I go on Monday, I might not go for six, seven weeks again. And these are the frivolities of life. It's nice to be able to afford to go out for dinner or go to a show or go to the theater or go to the Blue Jays or whatever. But that's not what City Hall is right now. Everybody seems to know what this game is. There's inefficiency. There's overspending. There's non-transparency in how funds are dispersed. Like all I heard was comfortable conversations and a lot of pie in the sky dreaming yesterday. I know that's hot. That's kind of her, her jam and her style and her thing. And I'm not dismissing that that works for her. But I heard nothing about practicality. What about the city's labor costs? I had a candidate for mayor tell me, do you know how many people are in Internet technologies, IT in the city? And he told me. And he gave me some of the numbers and the bottom line. And he knows this stuff. Back of his hand. It's way too many. It's way too many. And I don't want to see people pushed out to the street, but it is the public model. And it is the public funding. So I heard nothing that was uncomfortable yesterday about how city council can rein in spending, control the unions. They don't like to do uncomfortable stuff. They don't want to go with private contractors. So guess what? Sometimes the federal government and the provincial government look at the city and say, why would we give you money? You're not even looking. You're not even trying. If we did an audit and figured out what you're spending on and what you shouldn't be spending on, you'd be embarrassed. There's none of that. So this was this was um, in April. I asked Olivia Chow, then mayoral candidate. She announced the day before, made her first appearance with us on Toronto Day. We appreciate the time. Uh, but I said, what do you want to cut? Where can you trim fat in the city's budget? Uh, I can't tell you right now because uh, I'm not 100% uh, sure that there's any fat left because I think we, the city service has been cut to the bone, cut to the bone marrow, because every year I've noticed there's more cuts to TDC. I, you can't, you get into the TDC station. There's no officer. The TDC folks, it's not behind the screen anymore, right? Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And so I think there's too many cuts already. In fact, I want to restore TDC, what? get those people back onto this thing. Well, will, that, will the numbers... Okay, I, absolutely. And that's something you advocate for. But to do that, this is a lot like a family budget, right? We've all done those. If you spend here, you can't spend here. There must be something that pops into your head and you go... This is excessive. This does. This is unnecessary. Where, whereas you're you're talking about the things that are necessary. What's excessive? What's unnecessary in Toronto? Well, uh, let me tell you. I've been on uh, the budget committee for ten years. I I know how to do family budget because I'm the one that did right. family budget for many years. The roof is leaking. It's not 
trying to maybe sell a piece of furniture here and there, the roof is actually leaking. And we need to uh, ask and work. Well, we all have to pay the fair share, you know, in terms Mm. of uh, how much we pay in terms of taxes and all that stuff. But um, the budget of a widow's family or city is about our priorities. What do we need most, right? We start with that and then we build it. And then, yes, we do will then have to look okay. at what we need to cut. Okay, but that was four months ago, and I, and I don't see anything. And I didn't hear anything yesterday. You're going to, eventually, you run out of other people's money. And how many times have you heard it? There's only one taxpayer. And we shouldn't be the city of Toronto's piggy bank. Yes, go to the federal government. Yes, go to the province. Ask for this. Demand that. Fight it out. Put the wrestling tights on and wrestle. But what I didn't hear yesterday was, here's what we found. We're spending too much here. Why? Is that, does, that make, does that make things uncomfortable? Well, that's how it's going to be sometime. Let me give you an example. Saskatoon did their city budget in the summer. They shaved $23 million off, and they'll still have to have a slight property tax. But they didn't want a big one because small businesses would be harmed. The common person would be harmed. And I just heard none of that yesterday. I just, again, is there a part two, part three? Is there a sequel coming? I Like, you will run out of other people's money eventually. It always happens. The city of Toronto's strapped for cash, and I didn't see any sign that they're looking in the couch cushions or, uh, or, or, the, be- or the bedside table at all. I just heard it's coming. They're coming for us and asking for more money from us. Don't like. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We run into the uh, end weekend of the Women's World Cup, and you don't know how whether a tournament's going to grab you or not. And I know so many of the casuals, when Canada got uh, knocked out of the group stage, um, they were disappointing, yes, but a few things can be true at the same time. They were disappointing, a lot of flux. They're turning the roster, obviously, over from a couple of veterans to a lot of the younger players. That's difficult to do sometimes. I, I think that's why the United States team uh, is out, is they're sort of struggling to change leadership and, and purpose and generations and whatnot. And and so I know a lot of people maybe had their interest wane when Canada got knocked out. The time zone is very difficult. This is a very difficult tournament unless you are up really early in the morning to follow. The final is going to be Sunday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a. Pacific, whereas the Men's World Cup last fall had a 3 o'clock Eastern, 12 Pacific, 8 or 9 o'clock in Europe final with freaking Lionel Messi and, and Kylian Mbappe. So you're up against it a little bit. I wouldn't judge too much from ratings. I just feel like the buzz for this tournament's continued, and it's only going to be a good thing for uh, for girls that want to play, but also for women that want to play, given the approach of a women's domestic league. We often talk with our next guest about big issues, mental health, bullying. Uh, we've had her on plenty of times uh, during the, the heat of the pandemic, and I think we found some common ground, said things that needed to be said, I think, as well. Um, but she's a massive, massive supporter of women's soccer and girls' soccer in this country as well. From the University of Ottawa, she is Dr. Tracy Viancourt. It's great to have you on. Thanks for doing this. Oh, I appreciate it. How's how's your bo- uh, body body clock held up the last three and a half? This has not been a, they have they have not made this easy on us with the time zones and the start times as well. Um, the, they have, haven't made it easy for people in North America to watch games live. It's killing me. It really is <laughs> getting up at four a.m. to watch games. Yeah, it hasn't. It's been pleasant in in terms of how good the games have been, and the quality has been 
there for sure. But yeah, the time zone is difficult, as you mentioned. What what do you think the casual sees in in the tournament post Canada? I know this happens sometimes. Canada crashed out as they did, kind of dramatic fashion, blowout loss to the home nation Australia. And then the U.S. all of a sudden is gone. So either if you're rooting for them or against them, that part is gone. But I can't believe how good the uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm a biased person. But I would tell you if I thought, ah, sometimes we get a men's World Cup and you're like, that match wasn't great. Quality play isn't terribly exciting. Not a lot of chances. I think the knockout stage for the women's been lights out good. It has. It's been end to end. And usually, like you said, like you'll see a team park the bus and, There'll be a few chances here and there, but it's been end-to-end, and it's been so incredible. I loved every second of it. We'll get around to the the sort of demographics and what this has done, because you're you're in that mix with with girls more than me, um, having two sons that play and wishing, wishing, and believe me, my wife has uh, lamented several times the lack of a daughter playing. But I'll t- I'll ask you about the um, the quality of play, because you got to be cautious with it. If I say the level of play is much, much better than it was 20 years ago. That's not to demean anybody that was playing in 2003 or even in, in the World Cup that Canada hosted eight years ago. But the development of pro leagues, training, fitness, access to physiotherapy, access to watching yourself on video more, I, like the level of play is dramatic in, in terms of improvement at the highest women's level worldwide. There's just no doubt about it. There's no doubt. I played at a decent level, and I probably wouldn't even qualify to carry the water bottle um, for anybody at this tournament. Uh, And I also coach for Ontario. I'm the head coach for uh, one of our provincial teams. Mm -hmm. And even in my evolution in that uh, capacity, you know, you see change every year. They're just coming in better and better and better. So there has been some real progress. Uh, This is why I think the game in this tournament in particular is so exciting um, because we're seeing quality. From all the teams. What did that do to um, young Canadian girls to see Canada go out so soon? I mean, the young, the Jordan Heidemas and the Ashley Lawrences got to watch Christine Sinclair, or Diana Matheson got to watch uh, Charmaine Hooper in in the first time there was a World, Women's World Cup that Canada was in. Uh, younger girls had to be really disappointed to watch their heroes fall short this time around. Absolutely. Um, One of the things, though, I'd like to see is more girls watch professional soccer. And uh, this is one gap that I do note as a coach. um, A lot of them don't watch. Well, some watch for sure, but many don't. Um, Whereas boys, it seems like they all watch it. They're junkies um, when it comes to watching football and soccer. Uh, So I think you learn from watching the game and it would be good if we had more investment in there. But that said, I do think that us exiting early, it's terrible. I would have loved to see mm-hmm. this go all the way like we did in the Olympics, might actually work in our favor because we really need to put more pressure on um, getting a women's pro league in Canada. You see the countries that do have women's pro leagues, how far they've gone in the tournament. Uh, Sweden has always had a pro league for as long as I've been playing soccer, and I'm an old bird. And I'll tell you, like they, you know, it's a small country, and they're in the consolation final now. So it does make a difference. So I'm really happy with what Diana Matheson's doing in Canada. And hopefully this comes to fruition very quickly. And there's some, it'll make a big difference, Tracy. And, and there's something a little bit different about this sport. I'll juxtapose it with women's hockey only in that. The problem, even if Sweden and Switzerland and other European countries have gotten better 
at, at, at what they do. The problem is Canada and the USA, our women have gotten exponentially better. So there isn't sort of that randomness where you could see a massive upset. There isn't the, you, you don't come into a tournament thinking like the World Cup thinking. Probably there's eight teams, eight of the 32 teams, you could say. Well, I could see them winning. And it's what we're lacking a little bit right now in hockey compared to soccer. Mm, so I'm not, I don't follow hockey. <laughs> Should I just hang up now? No, 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 no. But, but I'm saying the, the, it, it, what's good is it's not, it's not even, let's say it's not women's basketball where it's like, well, it's the USA and everybody else. Like no, it is point. wide open to where you're like, of course, Canada could beat the USA on a given day. Of course, Sweden could, of course, Japan could, they all could. Exactly. No, fair point. Um, and, and this is the thing I think what's making this tournament exciting. So I worked a lot at the, um, the FIFA World Cup when we had it in Canada. And so the, the, the teams that were just coming for the first time to the tournament, in a lot of ways, they got slaughtered. I mean, the, the score lines were mm-hmm. horrible. And we saw that in the last World Cup. And we're not seeing it. Um, we're seeing, you know, new teams coming in and competing against the top 10. And, you know, some might criticize women for that, saying, well, it just shows you that the quality is not there. I would argue the opposite i think that that doesn't belong that that dialogue although i've seen it on social media quite a bit doesn't belong there Mm. Uh, the truth of the matter is we're all getting better and we're getting i mean it'll be exciting to see this next tournament and the one in the future um and and you're you made a comment about how um it hasn't you know the ratings haven't been great but in fact the ratings have been smashing all previous records, even including including men's records. Yes, I'm saying they'd be had they been in be, in a better time slot, they'd be even better. But they've been impressive for where they've been. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I got I got a blast. I hope you uh, wake up. Lots of coffee on the pot Sunday. Enjoy the final England and Spain. And and thanks for this. We'll talk about it again. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. There's Dr. Tracy Viancourt. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. So we got things happening in the city, and I told you a story out of the gate that I, I will tell you as a witness to some of the building that's going on in Toronto. Had to go to um, Earl's Court Park last night for uh, soccer. The suburban team comes in, gets their butts kicked by uh, SC Toronto. We don't need to talk about the result of the game. But I saw a lot of multiplexes um, getting built, and they're already getting built up like things are moving fast fourplexes for sale in toronto up and down uh caledonia near st Clair west in that neighborhood there and i thought this is promising and i even explained it to my 15 year old i'm like this is good 12 people can live here instead of three 16 people can live here instead of five that's what we need more of our next guest knows all about that and he's got an advanced role certainly in uh, where toronto is going to go with housing he's the new chair of the planning and housing committee and city councillor as well he is gord perks it's great to have you on the show i don't want to call you longtime counselor that sounds like we're getting older gord so um so veteran and veteran sounds like you're almost close to a rocking chair either none of this is true (laughs) well actually greg i gotta tell you uh, four weeks ago, I became a grandfather. So maybe it is true. <laughs> maybe we are moving along. That's really remarkable. Congratulations. And that's your first grandchild? Yes. Yes. Young Freddie. Very happy. I can't picture right now as being ensconced in, in dad stuff, but everybody that becomes that says you don't understand. It is like having uh, it, it, it. You can care at that level again, as it is when you have your own kid. I can't picture it, but everybody says it's true. Uh, it'll come to you one day. 
<laughs> Can we give it 15 or 16 years? Can we, uh, let's get building. Let's get building and get that Costello before I even think about uh, concepts like that. Um, let's get to, it's not a budget, obviously. I know people are talking about it like nothing is set in stone, but a financial report is indeed a plan. Um, give our audience, if they were sort of off the grid yesterday, what some of Toronto uh, says they they want in terms of they want taxing powers, but they're also looking for savings. How would you sum up what was said yesterday? What was said yesterday is the if if you draw an arrow as to where our finances are going, that arrow is going south, and we need to do some things about it. We need to. Uh, look at whether all the things we currently do we should keep doing maybe uh stop some of the ways that we've been spending money to attract business to toronto there's a program Mm -hmm. that we've been doing for 15 years maybe we can't afford it anymore so there's some savings they're suggesting with things like that but the what the main thrust of the report is doesn't matter how many cuts you try to make you can't get there you need a new source of revenue or maybe a couple of them. And it looks at a few that have been discussed for a while. Uh, uh, some changes to the way we do the, the land transfer tax so that the really expensive homes, the 3 million plus homes, maybe pay a bit more. It looks at things like uh, vacant home tax and how we use it. But, but it says you have to have a conversation with the provincial and federal governments saying Mm -hmm. you're paying for housing you're paying for transit we need a new deal to solve those two big problems is there any belief on your part because i have heard this and i've had other city councilors tell me this that the federal and provincial government do want to make sure the city's exhausted every option uh, you know for to pardon the 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 analogy looking under the couch cushions and and looking in the the bedside tables for money i know there's really smart people doing that in toronto um, does that process continue until the end of the year? A lot of people are being critical and saying we're hearing about taxes. We didn't hear the city's going to cut this, cut that. I know a lot's been cut already. Do looks for inefficiencies continue over the next few months? We Just to put that to rest, we do that every single year when we pass our budget. I've been on the city's budget committee. I'm going to be on it again this term. Mm-hmm. And we literally, you call every every general manager in for every department and you say, you know, go through line by line what they spend their money on and see if there aren't improvements available. The federal and provincial government saying that we need to do more of that, they're trying to dodge a bullet. And the bullet is the city of Toronto and many other cities, by the way, don't have a sustainable financial model. If you want your recreation center open, if you want the fire department to show up in a timely way. If you want your basic services, we got to fix this model. And that means either the federal and provincial governments have to Mm. keep bailing us out, which doesn't work for anybody, or they give us a new framework, maybe something like the sales tax, or they directly fund transit. We got to look at a big answer Mm. here. Gord Perks is our guest on Toronto today. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. And I wonder if it happens to a smaller extent. I'm a massive soccer fan. You may know that, but I, I don't love our World Cup deal. If, if, I had it, if I had to do it and I could have an arbitrary decision, 
I'm not sure the juice is worth the squeeze to spend hundreds of millions of dollars for five or six matches when you're not going to need a 45,000 seat BMO field for many other events. Are there sort of, Gord, are there many sort of World Cup deals that right now the city's on the hook for that they can't get out of that you can get out of in, in, in and create more efficiencies in the years to come? Are you on the hook for stuff right now that you wish you weren't with with deals? So you, you point to the World Cup, that's that's a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, the deal is signed. We can't get out, right? I know. Um, a lot of people like that stuff. A lot of people think it's worth the money. You know, a lot of, there was criticism when Skydome was built. There, there, there's, there's stuff that people want cities to do, and, and it's expensive. The problem we've got is that... Not only will we not be able to afford that stuff in the future, we won't be able to afford the basics. So, you know, you could, even, if, even if we never made that deal, we're still $1.6 billion short to deliver just the services you got last year, next year. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and, and yeah, they, it, exactly that. There's 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 some harsh realities. We are in a, in, in fact facing mode right now. It's hard to turn away from that. And you're right. The public's asking for the basics. I've lobbied for a long time that Toronto should be able to do what New York does. Chicago does any American city does and obviously have their own municipal tax. What I'd love to do, and I don't know if you think it's feasible, is pull that out of the HST, not create a new 1% tax. Is that an ask you'd like to go to the other levels of government and say, we can spend our money more efficiently than you can spend our money in doing this? We're, we're obviously going to have to have that conversation. Uh, the previous mayor wasn't willing to do it, mm-hmm. nor was the mayor before that. And that's why we're in this hole. We're going to have to, you know, sit down around the table with, with Premier Ford's team and Prime Minister Trudeau's team and say, look, you guys know this is real. It's time to stop playing. You can give us a direct funding source from your, you know, your taxes, your sales tax, your income tax. Or if you don't want to do that, give us the power to collect it and it'll be on us. Whichever way you want to do it, fine by us. I don't care. But the people I represent, the city of Toronto, want to know that when they dial 911, somebody's getting there in a quick time, you know, quick amount of time. That when they uh, get on the bus, that they're not going to wait 20 minutes for their connection. They want to know these things. I, I'm curious where you are on a congestion charge, because I'll tell you something. I know you care a ton about the environment. I do as well. I bet you a lot of our listeners do. I don't think we'll get to the point where, and clearly the premier doesn't think so, where we'll toll the DVP and the gardener. And I'm not sure we should, but I do see congestion charges work. I, I know people in, in London, England who swear by it and says it works. It makes for a safer downtown core. So that's not the whole city, but you can imagine, right? Pockets of Young Street, pockets of Queen, pockets of King. Do we charge drivers to enter those incredibly busy areas in the city? Where does the concept of it land with you, Gord? Uh, so when I'm thinking about taxes, I think about three things. I think, is it fair? Mm-hmm. I think, is it uh, simple to administer and understand? And I think, uh, do you, you get good bang for your buck, right? Like, you don't want to spend 90 cents collecting a dollar in taxes. And the thing about putting a congestion charge is you got to put a lot of money up front to set up all the infrastructure. 
mm-hmm. you know, the transponders and all of and readers all over the city, you're not going to make very much money very fast. Is it fair? Well, you know, what if you live or work in a particular area? Should your area be in or out? It's kind of arbitrary who has to pay and who doesn't. Like, where does it start? And where, it's a little like the 407, yeah. right? Where does it start and where does it end? Where do you get the yeah. exit ramp? I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Are you inside the circle or outside the circle? Do you have to pay to take your kids to daycare? Who knows, right? Um, so mm. those, there's a lot of complexity there. A lot, and that to deal with that complexity is really expensive. Mm. So I say to myself, why don't you use a tool like, say, the sales tax? that uh, literally it, the mechanism for collecting it is already there. Everybody already understands it. It's pretty fair because yeah. the more you spend, meaning that typically you have a higher income, the more you get charged. So it's pretty fair. It's not expensive to administer. It's pretty simple. we got to keep uh, those conversations going, Gord. I appreciate you coming on this morning, um, and I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks so much for the time today on our, on our show. Thank you, Greg. Bye. Gord Perks joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Our next guest put this uh, uh, stat out. And I've been I've been driving downtown for work every day all through the pandemic. And I've seen it change a little bit. But it was stark to see um, the graph. And it's it's in comparison with other cities. Toronto's had a bit less of an awakening. The office occupancy indeed dropped from 52 percent to 51 percent in July. Is that more people taking vacation? Have we peaked out? We're going to know in a couple months, as he notes, and uh, he's a great find as well and hosts a podcast that I'll tell you more about as well. But uh, he knows the real estate game. That's for sure. Daniel uh, Fosh joins me on Toronto today. It's great to have you on. It's great to discover your stuff as well. Really, I watched a video where you talked about the yellow belt and I learned a ton. So you're doing great stuff and putting great content out there. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely. So, yeah, the, the foot traffic thing is is really something. There have been so many conversations about, well, when's Toronto going to roar back, Daniel? And it's all, look, transit and retail, it's all this big piece of the puzzle. If people don't come back, your transit and retail um, are, are going to su- parking lots. They're all going to suffer if people don't come back to their offices. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... W- you know, Toronto does, is a little bit unique by comparison to some other cities in the Western world and such that we do have um, a lot of residential density near the downtown core. So, it, you know, it could end up being a less pronounced impact if the central business district of most cities in, in North America don't reopen, you know, even if we get to 60, 75 percent of what we saw um, pre-COVID, which is kind of where I'm, I'm probably expecting it to land in the 60 percent range. But it, it'll be a notice, noticeable impact for sure. You're spotting Wednesday is a huge day for work. That makes sense middle of the week. If you're a four-day work week or if you're one of these uh, TWT people, I won't sound it out. We don't need any problems on a Friday. You and I don't. So, But Monday is that super slow day with 27% office capacity. Does that just look to you? Does the data tell you people are just Monday and Friday are sort of those sandwich days, and, and but the middle days, that's when that's when we're doing face-to-face stuff? For sure, yeah. I think people would probably elect to to take that work, for, wrap that work from home around the weekend to try and get some extended time at home, um, and concentrating all that work day into you know in the middle of the week. And you can definitely feel it in, in the traffic. Like I mean, I drive downtown a lot, like you were mentioning, and Wednesday is certainly the worst day. Um, the the idea of converting because this is where you went as well. The idea of converting. 
uh, office space to residential space. Um, but this, the conversations will get a lot more serious. Last summer, Wright felt too soon to wonder about it. And remember, it's got to be about a business philosophy. Then management has to buy in. Then the workers have to buy in. Um, that's the simplest chart I could draw. But there's a lot more complexities to that return to the office concept. I bet you we're, we're ready now to have more conversations with with places that are leased or bought and big companies saying, what are we going to do with all this space? It's it's never going to be what it was in the office again prior to 2020. I think it's a really complex problem as well. Like, you know, right now we're running at or we were running at record low unemployment. And so the employers don't necessarily have a lot of bargaining power in trying to get people back to the office. If we start to see a meaningful rise in unemployment, I mean, that'll obviously change the fate of a lot of businesses. Um, but with Canada being relatively oligopolistic, I don't think we'll see, you know, a major uh, suffering in that respect. Um, but mm. you know, on the office space, I guess is what I mean to say. But um, it, it could balance the scales in such that, you know, employees aren't the ones determining whether or not they get to come back into the office. And you might actually see a bit of a resurrection and people trying to protect their their employment by showing face or you know being closer with uh, the management team it's tough to generalize um, and, isn't it because again like there's no like set box that you go here's the box of what management thinks at all times here's the box of employees because we're so specialized but but if you get eight people you see them all at the same level and and three or four willing to come in and three or four absolutely are adamant that they won't and you got to make a cut or you got to promote somebody the those answers become pretty easy don't they yeah, I think people are operating on the assumption that it is, it's probably a lot harder to fire somebody who's there every day, right? Um, you, you know, even just based on the personal relationship that you would form with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think to go back to what you were mentioning about um, converting offices, I mean, you know, I did follow up the the tweet and the, the, the um, chart comes from uh, the Toronto Business Improvement Associations and a couple of the Chamber of Commerce and a couple of other people who measure this stuff, but it's, uh, it's called this uh, SRRA. If anybody wants to look it up, um, I've noticed it, it's been retreating and I think it's an important time for us to have a conversation about converting office to, to residential space in the midst of a housing crisis. And everybody's always like, Oh, it's so difficult to do that. And it's like, well, it, it's also extremely difficult to, to just convert land to housing yes. in the province of Ontario <laughs> and anywhere in Canada. And so, you know, that never stopped anybody before. So I think that the the remaining pieces, and you're seeing it in Calgary, they're currently converting 6 million square feet of office to residential. Um, at what vacancy rate do we, what vacancy rate do we have to get to for this, for the economics of this to make sense in a city like Toronto? Well, you nailed it. Let, let's say somebody is selling their parents' estate and, and they're thinking, can I make a few tweaks as an old house? They, it's, it certainly looks lived in, feels lived in. Can I make a tweak here or there, bring some renovation guys in? Or do I just blow the sucker up and start fresh? We know what the easier answer is. And to your point, you don't need as many cranes in the sky or shovels in the ground if you're converting instead of instead of building foundation up. You don't. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the difficulty is like the function of the mechanical features, the existing curtain walls and the size of the floor plates. Right. So you'd have like almost all the units mm-hmm. would end up being bowling alleys. So, you know, it's not it's definitely not ideal, but I, I also think having a a country in the state of um, severe housing crisis or a city in the state of severe housing crisis is, is less ideal than, than, you know, having these tough conversations and doing these tough projects. So 
it's something I'd like to see happen more moving forward. Uh, Daniel Foch is our guest. You can go to the Canadian Investor Podcast.com um, and listen to him, watch him there. I got about a minute here. Um, are you finding colloquially, are you seeing data that when people document why they want to live downtown, that they say it's because it's close to everything I love, it's close to big things, concerts, sporting events, restaurants, et cetera? Or, or, or was it about being, or is it about still being close to the office? I don't want to drive 45 minutes. I don't want to take a 45 minute go train ride or 30 minute TTC ride. Why do people want to live downtown in a nutshell? Yeah, I think you're really seeing the, the function of a a core move from being a financial core or central business district to being more of a social core. And I think Mm -hmm. cities that will survive and and thrive moving forward will, will serve that role and do it well. And, and I think Toronto's honestly positions itself relatively well to do that with the amount of residential development that they've seen happening, you know, all the density that we're seeing, we have the most condo, uh, sorry, we have the most uh, construction cranes in the continent right now. Um, So I, I think that, we should be doing fine, but definitely what the reason people are, are moving downtown yeah. is more for the social aspect, more for the proximity to, you know, mm-hmm. potential mates than, or, or, you know, sporting events, like you're saying, than um, to work. It's really smart stuff on the Canadian real estate investor podcast. Go to uh, Cana- the Canadian investor podcast.com. Daniel, thanks so much for the time this morning. It's, you do it. You're putting out great Thank stuff you. and happy to amplify it for you. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. Uh, All right. There's uh, Daniel Foch joining us on Toronto Today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. One thing the city may be turning on, and this may be a little bit of a pendulum swing, is renaming Dundas Street. They may be reconsidering this. When this was voted through from the executive committee that they were going to change the name this year. By the way, there's only three and a half months left in the year, and I haven't heard about a name change yet. John Tory said this to the public. What we cannot have is a situation where everybody puts in a petition with however many signatures they may have, suggesting streets all over the place or other, other parks or other things uh, just get renamed because somebody's upset about something. <laughs> that sounds like everything that we do now is somebody's upset about something. So we listen to them, even if 98 people are not upset and one person's neutral and one person's upset. We listen to the upset person. It feels that way, but maybe we're swinging it back around the other way. Jennifer Dundas uh, is uh, kind enough to uh, join me now, and she is very um, opinionated on the idea of changing. Well, it's it's her last name, but Dundas Street and all things Dundas. And she's kind enough to join me now. It's great to have you on. I'm glad I uh, was able to come across your messaging on this because I think you speak for a lot of people who are wondering about the, the, the emphasis on this and the need for this. Well, thanks, for Greg, for having me on. And, and I have to say that if, uh, if I looked at that research that the city did and decided that it was true and accurate, I wouldn't have said a word about this. The reason I stepped into this was that, in my view, that that research was so egregiously bad that the family had to step forward and try to set the record straight because no one else was brave enough to do it. If you'll recall, this came uh, into being in 2020 at the height of the aftermath of the George Floyd murder, and emotions were running very high. And then a year later, when council voted on it, 2021, there was the brand new information about possible um, graves of missing Indigenous children. And so emotions were running high both times this came before council, and nobody really wanted to stand up and say, you've got your facts wrong, but 
it's been up to the family to do that. Yeah, we're three years removed from that. And I think there's some really practical, important ethical things and lessons that we should take from those those 36 months ago. But but um, in the case of Henry Dundas, you're right. There's many people that have challenged the record. So this isn't necessarily about saying, hey, how are you going to find any good human being who was born in 1742? That's going to be a good human being under 2023. We might not be able to find somebody born in 1942, really, that's good under 2023 standards, Jennifer. In fact, if you look at the history of what Henry Dundas did on social justice policy throughout his tenure in uh, in cabinet and as a, a politician in Scotland and in uh, Britain, he stands up pretty well to scrutiny. He was on. He led the legal team that freed and escaped slaves and convinced Scotland's highest court to, disca- to declare that slavery was illegal. He literally ended slavery in Scotland. Um, he proposed an achievable plan to end slavery and the slave trade together in the British colonies. And 30 years later, the leading abolitionists were saying, we should have listened to Henry Dundas. He was right about that. Um, he ordered Canadian governors to respect the equal rights of black soldiers. Uh, he appointed an abolitionist, two abolitionists, to key positions in Upper Canada. There was John Graves Simcoe and William Osgood, and between them, they passed, uh, they ensured the passage of the empire's first anti-slavery legislation anywhere in the empire. I mean, it does go on. He, he ordered the military mm-hmm. to protect the indigenous nations and the right to occupy their traditional hunting grounds and the other grounds that they needed to sustain themselves. Every time it came down to, um, you know, making a call on human rights, he did come down on the right side. Let's, let's talk about the practicality of this, Jennifer. Why do you think uh, the city just seems to be slowly tiptoeing away from this? Some might point to money. It always gets down to money, and it's being pointed at how expensive this would be. Beyond all the history of it, we've had three former mayors come out and say, uh, we need to revisit this a little bit, and we may have been overreactionary, but why do you think there's a little bit of a tiptoe backwards um, at, uh, on this front? Well, I think one of the reasons that the mayors have, former mayors have been emboldened on this is that the academic commentary on this, including in peer-reviewed scholarship, has strongly condemned the uh, statement of facts on which the city made its decisions. Now, the mayors, between them, they have over 50 years' experience in elected office, and they are respected, progressive-minded individuals. So they... um, they were emboldened, I think, by seeing that the, uh, there was good evidence that the, the city had its facts wrong. And I, and I don't think they were so much motivated by, by the money here. Uh, the, um, the other things have to do with uh, in, in indications of uh, um, how much it's going to cost, uh, but, you know, in proportion to the benefit. I mean... million is just for the city's direct costs. The city has also promised to fully compensate businesses who have to rebrand and undertake all kinds of additional expenses to process an address change. That will probably double uh, the total cost to the city if they are generous in uh, in compensating all costs that businesses Mm. have to face. And then there's the issue also of the province. The province will have costs changing signs around Toronto on highways and so on. And also 
processing changes in driver's licenses. Yeah. And our information is that the cost to the province could be as high as $2 million. I, I know I want to have a longer conversation with you at some point in time. I got about a minute here um, and, and change, but I think, look, I think we've done a sloppy, uh, messy, inaccurate job of teaching history. Um, my dad agrees and, and he taught history in high school his entire career. And, and I think we've, um, I think we have had a bit of a um, whitewashed history. We didn't do a very good job learning about residential schools. We didn't do a very good job talking about our own, um, how would I put it? pimples and zits in terms of our leaders um and that said i look and i go history is awfully complicated awfully abraham lincoln awfully complicated human being john a mcdonald awfully complicated human being um queen elizabeth's awfully complicated so i i don't like again there's there's (laughs) we're always going to be having these conversations and people will have different opinions about historical figures i agree and i think you have to be a little bit more humble about how we judge figures from the past And we have to do a lot more to rely on respected and reliable uh, and accomplished historians to to guide the facts on these matters. But uh, real quick, does this look like it's a dead dead thing, that it's it's not going to go forward? Would you say confidently now you don't ever expect the Dundas Street to get renamed? I think it's looking highly questionable now. I think... uh, I think the city now has an off-ramp, which is that Mm. the academic commentary is increasingly saying you got your facts wrong. The mayors are saying there's a better, former mayor is saying there's a better way to spend this money. And and I think they will be looking for a way to shut this down. Jennifer Dundas, loved uh, making your acquaintance, loved having you on, and we'll certainly do it again uh, and talk about this and other issues. Thanks for the time today. Thank you, Greg. Awesome to have you.